Good to see everybody here this morning. Um, I'm excited that, that we're here. Um, everybody's back in school now, right? Woo! This, yeah, adults were like, yay, all the students up here. Oh. Um, I do got to say, it is awesome seeing all the students up here this morning. Um, love seeing you guys here. It's been fun to see you. I think youth had 35 students at it on Thursday night. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to see and be a part of the youth. I, I come into the youth and they called me the old guy in the room, even though our youth leader is older than I am. But we won't go into that too much. Um, but I, I love being here with you guys today. Um, I know for us, school is back in session. Uh, we got, you know, uh, Aurora is now in the sixth grade, and she is now fully owning that she is in the oldest group of kids in her school. And Avery's in the second grade, and she just loves absolutely anybody and everybody that'll look at her and talk to her. So she loves everything. It's, it's been so fun to see them back into the rhythm of school. Um, but now we're back into a rhythm, right? School's back in session. The fall is coming. Um, rhythm is back in. Vacations are over. And um, something that we talked about in, uh, in our business meeting um, just a couple weeks ago was, was our budget and the reality of what it takes to run and have, have a growing, healthy church. And I just got to say, I'm so glad to be a part of this place. I'm so glad to have uh, this church community around us and the, the fact that we get to, to work with our community and partner with our community and partner with other churches to reach our community is something that I'm proud to be a part of. So thank you for being here today, and I'm excited to dive into the Word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, or for the youth, your Digibibles... Um, turn to Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 10. So bookmark those as we're going to dive in. And um, something else before we dive into the, the passage. Uh, we talked about this at the business meeting. Um, we talked about small groups. And, and really being a part, I believe, of, of a, a healthy church means being a part of a healthy small group. And I can't stress enough of how strongly I believe in small groups. I believe that there, there's a phrase that says, if you want to grow bigger, you have to grow smaller. And that doesn't mean it'll get everybody out of the church, but what it does mean is in your church, if, if you want to see people growing bigger, and that's not just numerically, but, but spiritually and, and healthy in their walk with Christ, it means that we have to grow smaller, and that means getting involved in a small group of people where you can share life together. Some of the healthiest churches in America, you know what they all have in common? They have healthy, growing small groups. So I think here as a church... Something that I really want to stress that I think is super important that we should all dive into is making sure that we get into a small group. Small groups are fun. I, I love small groups. Now, even uh, if you're an extrovert like me, small groups, you, you, you die at the opportunity to meet with a group of people. If you're an introvert like me, the word small group is for you. It's a small group. You're okay. You can do it, right? But small groups, life really happens in small groups. I believe on a Sunday morning, we get to come together and we get to, we get to worship, we get to dive into the Word a little bit, we get to have some fun, but also you get to hear me, woo, for like, you know, 35 minutes or so. But in a small group, you get to hear each other. You get to share life, you get to build each other up, you get to share struggles, you get to rejoice with each other, you get to, you get to grow with each other, you get to share in each other's pains and, and ultimately the celebrating that comes from the healing when people get out of those, those seasons of their life. So small groups are so wonderful. And I know that Soon, we'll have brochures coming out for small groups that are be coming up. We're working on a new website, and it'll all be on the website as well, and I'm super excited for when we launch that. But I would love for everybody here, if you're not involved in one, you've never been in one, or you're just going to test the waters on something, we're going to talk about testing waters today, um, jump into a small group. Jump in, share some life, have fun. And if you, do, if you look and you're like, I don't know if I have one that would fit my schedule, talk to me about opening up and, and hosting one. 
Hosting one is, uh, is often easier than you think, and I think it brings a lot of life and joy as well. So, so communicate with me on those. I'm excited to ro- roll those out soon, and um, I can't stress enough, get in a small group. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mine's one of the best, but it's gonna be, they're all going to be good. They're all going to be lots of fun. Now, small groups are a part of an equation. They're, they're a part of this church equation, but they're only a part of the whole thing of what it means to do church, right? <clears throat> now, how many of you guys know that um, just people in general... We have the ability, more people do this, off, it's more often than not, to test something before you dive in, right? You, you want to kind of put feelers out there, see how it works, see if it's, if it's for your personality, if it fits your schedule. You, you, you want to try something out first before you fully commit and diving in. Um, maybe it doesn't fit your preference. Uh, maybe, maybe you're just going to semi-commit so it's easier to back out if you don't like it. But, but I think we can fall into a problem if we, if we live by a testing out mentality, what that means is you're always holding something back. If you're just going to test out, you always hold something back. And, and testing is not something I think we are necessarily called to do when it comes to walking with Christ. Now, <clears throat> how many people here like to swim? Go to the lake, go to the ocean, go to the beach, just something with, with water. Now, if you go to the lake or any body of water, you typically find two kinds of people. One person goes, and, and they will come, and hey, good morning, how you doing? <laughs> they, they will come, and they will, they will do the, the toe testing thing. They're like, let me test it. Oh, that's cold, and they'll wait. And then they'll go, and they'll, they'll put their feet in, and then they'll slowly wait out and slowly wait out. And, and three years later, you get all the way in the water, right? And you're finally there. But during that process, what's the number one thing you don't want to do to that person? You don't splash them. Yeah, you're like, splash them, right? Yeah. You don't want to splash that person. They will then run out of the water. You, you, you got me wet. It's too cold. I'm not ready. They want to test it. Sure enough, after you test it, then everything's okay. Then they're in the water. Then they're having all the fun. Then you have the other person. You have the person that gets to the water, and they, they know there's one way to get used to this fast and let the fun begin. You are in. You are running to the water. You are the crazy person on the beach. This is, I don't care if it's 30 degrees. I am running in the water, and you just go all in. Now, <laughs> guess what one I am, right? <laughs> I, I love when, when, I, when I get to the water and I'm ready to go in, I don't do the testing thing. I like to run and jump in. And um, I saw a bunch of that on the Mexico trip. We got to go to the beach, and it was fun to see people there. We got to the beach, just go and dive into the water. And I can say, you know, nine times out of ten, guess who's having more fun? Right, A lot of people that go all in, often you see just life pouring out because they are all in in the moment. We all have something, I think, in life. You can look at pinpoint things in your life. What are you all in on? This will be different for everybody, but what would you say in your life you are all in? Or something you can say in the past, you are all in. Maybe a sport, a hobby, some activity where you say, you know, when, when this opens up, I am all in. Some of you, I mean, it seems like something special is happening today with all the green and blue and stuff that I see happen, happening out there. Number 12s, it's, you know, shocking to me. I should have worn my Niner jersey. It's okay. But we all have something that we can be all in on. And I've shared before, for me when I was younger, that was my baseball career. I was all in on baseball. I loved it. For me, it was eat, sleep. Baseball, repeat. That was life. School was something I had to do. I, I did good in school. I actually really liked school. I, had, I got great grades and everything. But that was just something I had to get through to get to baseball. 
After school, after school practice. After school is practice. Then there's the games. Then there's the tournaments. Now, that, was, that was my life. I loved it. I was good at it. And I was all in on everything. I wanted to practice, wanted to play. For you guys, what, what can you think? What is, what is your all in? And maybe not just as a kid, but even now, if you look at your life now, what would you say right now you are all in on? Something that when you wake up, you're like, this is what I want to do. You may not get to do it right away, but that's what you want to do. You want everything to revolve around, this is what I'm going to go do. I'm going to give it everything I can. I will hold nothing back because I am all in. I think that this principle of being all in, we're going to focus on for a number of weeks because I think it's really paramount and instrumental for our walk with Christ. I think it's important that we look at this walk with Jesus and we say, how can I be all in in this relationship? Now, if, if you're new to church and you're new to this Jesus thing, I'm going to use a lot of big words about being all in. But essentially what I mean is I believe that the Bible lays out the best possible life for us. I believe the Bible has important truth. The Bible is the word of God. It is the truth. And when we live by this, we will live an abundant life that he has called us to. And I believe that for everybody. It lays out the best path for us. And Jesus, the scriptures refer to this as the most full life or the abundant life. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life and habit. I love that Jesus says that for us. He doesn't want us just to get through life. He wants us to have life to the full. I believe your full life will be different than your neighbor's full life, and we, we can't get in the habit of comparing how full our life is compared to somebody else. But Jesus, what he has for you is a full and abundant life. So if we want to experience this life, this abundant life that leads to eternal life with Jesus, uh, we, we've got to commit ourselves to him, and that means being all in, letting his spirit be what guides us in our everyday. And so when we let him guide us, that means we're taking ourselves out of the equation and saying, God, I'm all in for you. I'm all in on what you have for me. I'm, I'm not all in on what I want. I'm all in on your wants. I want to live like you. I want to be more like you. I'm going to hold nothing back in my pursuit of you. And that's going to be really the heartbeat of this series when we talk about being all in. Now, to begin, I want to share with you one of the verses we're going to be using throughout the next number of weeks. This is uh, Matthew 16, 24. There's a three-step command we see here from Jesus in this passage. So if you have this, highlight this, circle it, because we're going to be referring to this quite a bit. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So we see those three steps there. We see the deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that may sound like a lot um, because it is. (laughs) There's a lot going on in right there. But for the next few weeks, we're going to speak about this verse, these three steps that Christ has called us to do, because I believe that if we follow these, we can live that best abundant life that he has out for us, holding nothing back. And today, we're going to focus on that first part, deny yourself. It says, if you deny yourself. Now, we've touched on this phrase before, but today that's going to be our focus. What does this mean, deny yourself? What does it mean to go after him wholeheartedly? Deny yourself. This This is a tough command, right? We all have stuff, we all have things, we like to do things, and this isn't saying get rid of everything you own, don't ever do anything you like again, but it is a mindset and heart mentality about saying that's not important, it's about going for Jesus instead. It's a tough command. It really is a tough command. To live it out is hard, but if we're able to live it out, 
I believe everything can change. So, so the question ultimately we're going to look at today is, what does it mean? If someone were to say, deny yourself, what does it mean to deny yourself? We're denying ourselves, I believe, begins a lot with the first place we look. <clears throat> the first thing I think when it comes to denying yourself is this, look introspectively. That's a big word for me. Look introspectively. Now, now prior to Jesus coming here on earth, we had the Old Testament, right? We have the Old Testament, we've got some rich foundation, some incredible stories of God working through people and working through the land in the Old Testament. And often in the Old Testament, we see something. We see God communicating with certain people who then deliver that message to the world. And those people were prophets, those people were judges, those people were leaders, right? God would raise up these leaders, and they would go with this incredible message. Um, some of them were messages of prosperity, like, this is what's coming, this is going to be great. Some of them were not good messages. Like, hey, guys, we messed up. The bad guys are coming, and they're going to take over. We can't stop them. All that to say, though, God spoke through people. He used people to deliver his word throughout, throughout the land. And one of these people that he used was David. Now, David, a man of God, he loved to do things as much as God's, way, as, as God's way as possible. Now, he had his flaws and he had his faults, but this was a man scripture refers to after God's heart. He really looked for what God wanted to do, and he was the, labeled the greatest king Israel ever had. Now, when we look at the Old Testament, we don't just read about David, but we also see some things that David wrote, and we find those in the book of Psalms. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, David says this, this beautiful passage. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This, this I, is a psalms, you know, it's like song, but this is like a prayer. It's like a worshipful prayer from David. He says very simply, he says, God, search me. God, God, know my heart. And I think David is doing something so good here that I believe God is calling all of us to do if we truly open ourselves up to denying ourselves. As Christ says, look introspectively. You know, he's, saying, he's saying, God, look at my heart. And I think we've got to look at our hearts too. We've got to say, you know, we want God to see it. Let's, let's show God what we really mean. Look at your heart. Look inside. Maybe this is something you've done before, but, but this process of taking this inward glance at your heart where you put everything out on the table, even for yourself, no, no trying to trick yourself, no trying to deceive yourself, say, this is what I've got, this is who I am, this is what's going on. And this process of taking an inward glance at our lives and, and maybe even it'll lead you to ask um, a few questions about yourself. For instance, as you look in, introspectively, you'll start asking yourself, where am I headed? Where am I going? What, what in my past has led up to this moment? What are my priorities right now? These questions have a tendency, if you're really honest with yourself, these questions can either build you up really bad or get you really, really depressed about some things that you may be doing in your life, right? But you've got to start there. If you want to be honest with God, be honest with yourself first. What are you presenting? He already knows, but we've got to look at ourselves. Reveal yourself to yourself. Look inside, present it to God. But don't stop there. Because what we see here when David talks about it, he says, search my heart. But he wants God to be involved in this process. He's not just saying, God, look at me. All right, peace out. I'm leaving. You know me. I'm going to do what I want. He wants God to be involved in this, this step he's going because he wants to live more for God and less for him. It would have been pointless for David, totally pointless for him to merely look at himself and figure out what he needed and then exit the scene, right? He wanted God to play a role. He wanted God to be involved in everything he was doing. And similarly, we as believers have the Holy Spirit to help us through this process of learning and walking and seeing what God wants for our lives. But we need the Spirit to guide us in these moments. 
And this is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit in this. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I think when we look introspectively, we get to see some of God's truth playing out in our lives. And we see that God will reveal ultimately always the truth. He'll always show us what the truth is. And the truth is found in the scripture. Essentially, the Holy Spirit, if we allow him to do it, will lead us to the best life inside and out every single time. But that's the key phrase right there. That This all-in mentality is saying, if I'm going to go all-in on the Spirit leading me, I've got to go all-out on me leading me. I've got to make sure he's leading the charge, right? What is it that God wants to reveal to you about what presently is going on in your life? Maybe in your mind, maybe in your heart. Maybe these steps God wants you to take will first reveal if you have the receptivity to receive him. But after we learn the truth about what's going on inside, I think that's the first step. Look inside. See what's happening in your life. Ask yourself those questions. What are you doing? Where are you going? I think then we've got to be willing to give it out to God. We've got to be willing to give it away. And I think that's the next step in, in denying ourselves, as it talks about here. And I call this living with open hands. Now, earlier this year, we talked about possessions and worries. And we, I had everyone do an exercise with me where I said, you know, clench your hands. And what's something you're holding on to in your life? What's something where you say, this is mine? I'm going to hold on to it, and I won't let go. And I had an exercise where I said, if you're, if you're ready, just open up your hands. Live with that open hand mentality where it's not yours, it's his. But let's spread that out a little bit more now. Let's just not think about our worries. Let's just not think about something that we love. Let's, let's open that up to all things in our life. What, what in your life in any avenue are we, are we holding on with a closed fist mentality saying, this is mine, I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to live for this. I, I'm going to make sure that I'm holding on to this. I can't squeeze that hand too hard. I'm going to hold on to this so much that I will not let it go. And so much where you have this white knuckles and you're, and you're gripping and it's hurting. What is God calling you to say, I've got to let this go so you can be in charge. I've got to let it go to show that I'm releasing it so I can live for you, God, with open hands. What if we did that with our whole life? All encompassing, everything you have, everything you are, you said, I am letting it go. Doesn't mean you're going to sit on the couch and watch movies all day. That's not letting it go. That's being lazy. But letting go of your control of these things. Letting go and saying, God, I'm going to follow your lead, not my lead. Take my life. Take everything I desire. Take everything I say. What if we said, God, this is what I want for me. This is what I desire. But I know what you want for me is so much bigger, so much better. And I want you to take it instead. You take control of my life. You guide me and I will follow you everywhere I go. That's so more important than saying, I want this. That's bigger than anything we could ever want. If we open our hands and say, I surrender to what you want, we're showing God that he is bigger, that he is in charge. And we can start living that instead of just saying it. If we were to do that, and you could ask yourself this question, if you were to do that, what would it look like for you today? What things would change? If you decided, you know, from this day forth, I'm going all in, I'm letting it go. What's one thing off the top of your head you'd said, I would let this go? I would let it go because I know it's what I want, but I don't know if that's what God wants. I've got to give it to him first. What would change in your attitude? What would change in our speech? What would change in our actions? I'm willing to bet if we did it, a lot would change in all three of those areas. Maybe something that you don't want to change, but, but I tell you, if there's something that you would probably say, you know what, I don't got to give that to God, I'm fine, that's probably the thing you got to give up. That's probably God saying right there, saying, actually, that's what I want. Let me take control of it instead. 
You see, it's, it's really hard to say no when something's clenched in your fist. I don't think anyone in the world has a tighter grip on anything than a two-year-old running away with something they know they shouldn't have. You try and pry that out of their hands, right? That is, that is torture. But we do that so many times with things in our life. Run around, and we, I, get, I can picture God saying, he gave that to me, and you're just that two-year-old going, nope, nope, mine, mine, and you just, you will not let that go, right? We've got to let things go. You've got to, we, we, a lot of us have experience with this in the past, right? Maybe it's something that people around um, Jesus knew a ton about. Jesus said this, I think, for a reason when he was talking to people about this open-handed mentality. And this is where we come to our passage in Mark, the rich young ruler. So to, to set the story here, Jesus, Jesus, a rich man comes to Jesus one day. And you'll see this rich man comes and he falls on his knees and we'll read this. It's a, it's a great example we see of times where we're like, God, I want this. But then a challenge is issued and this man has a crossroads on what is he going to do. And, and what he does is crazy. So Mark chapter 10 Starting in verse 17, we see the rich young ruler. It says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your mother and your father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What's funny is when, when that story starts, you know, he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, I, I want to follow you. What do I do? He says, I've done all these things. What's next? The, the story, the first, the first time you read this, you're almost set up for the, this is going to be the next disciple. This is going to be the next guy that goes and does something great. And Jesus says, sell your stuff, follow me. And that's where the guy has a shift. He doesn't even argue with it. He doesn't say, Jesus, what do you mean? Jesus, how about this? There's no conversation. It's just his face falls and he walks away. He decides in that moment he cannot do it. This is a powerful statement, not just by Jesus, but by this man as well. He says, sell everything you have. Give your money to the poor. But the response by the rich man tells us more about him than anything he said did. It says more than him falling on his knees. It says more than his life of following the actions. Him walking away and having a sad face about this challenge says so much. And I think it says he walked away because he has great wealth. And you know what I truly believe about this passage? I really don't believe this is about the guy's stuff. I really don't believe this is about the man's wealth and about how rich he was. I believe Jesus was asking him this question to get him to shift his mind from what he has versus what Jesus wanted him to do. Are you willing to make a sacrifice? Are you willing to say it's not about you, it's about the mission? And this guy could not get past that. Was he willing to let his heart shift from a centered focus walk to a Jesus focused walk? Or was he going to go look at his things? And ultimately, he chose his things. His face got sad. He couldn't imagine life without his wealth, and he walked away. I think Jesus asks us this question all the time. Now, I don't think Jesus is telling every single person in this room, sell your house, sell your stuff, give it all away, follow me, because I don't think that was the point of this challenge. This challenge was really a, a, to get the guy to look at himself. What do you value? Do you value what I value? Because I don't value all your stuff. I value all my people. And this guy didn't want to value the people. He wanted to value the stuff and said, the same thing comes to us. 
We can easily look at our, at our stuff. We can look at our schedules. We can look at our calendars. We can look at our bank accounts and say, this is what rules my life. This is what I see. And then we see what God is calling us to do. Or we see something that we know is important, but it's so hard to look past ourselves that we say, I don't know if I can do that because here's me and I've got to make sure I'm taking care of me. And we can have, it's really easy to fall into that. I'm guilty. I've done it. I still do it sometimes. I look and I say, I don't know if I can, but that's a me-centered look and not a God-centered look. We can't look past ourselves and see him ahead of what's going on. We can easily let ourselves be the reason that we don't go all in. It's not, it's not the people around us. It's not the world around us. It simply comes down to ourselves, not letting us be the reason. We are all in. And we just start testing the waters with our toes. We say, all right, God, let me, let me try. Nah, I can't go all in today. This is too important. And that was, that was too cold. We, we cannot challenge ourselves and step away. I once heard a pastor say, if you want to know what you are all in in life, what is important to you? What are you all in on? Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. Checks are things we old people write sometimes, kids. Sorry. I know. Check your calendar. Check your Venmo. All right, there we go. Check your calendar, but, but look, at, look at your bank account, look at your calendar. When you look at those two things side by side, you will see what is important. What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your resources on? And you'll be able to see pretty quickly, this is what I am all in on. I wonder if, if us, you know, if we have so many possessions, we have so much great wealth, and even, even those of us who don't have much, we are some of the richest in the world just by being here today with what we have compared to what other countries have. Maybe, maybe these possessions are not material items that in, in your life, like what the rich man probably had to his name. Maybe these are things in your past that you're still holding on to. Um, um, values are things that you say, this is my value and I will not sacrifice it for anything. Even if Jesus is saying, that's not my value, I want you to give that to me. Maybe it's something that you know you like, but it's not fulfilling. You got to give it to the one who fulfills. Or maybe there's a habit you've created that has you down this unhealthy rhythm in life and you don't know, you just don't want to give it up because it's a habit. You do it. You want this. It's, it's part of you. And Jesus is saying, but that's not part of me. That's not what I have for you. Give it up. Deny yourself that. Follow me instead. I remember when I decided to go all in for the first time. When, when, I, when I decided, and I've shared the story before, when I decided that I was not going to focus on sports, when I said, you know what, God, I know that sports are me. You've called me to do something else. I'm going to go all in on this instead. I tell you, it was the greatest decision I ever made. Students, for all you guys, I made that decision in high school. I wish I made it earlier. I do. I do. I remember in high school, I was playing baseball. I was on the all-star team. I was traveling. I have, I have trophies that I earned. They're not participation trophies, right? But, but I played, and I was good, and I was all in on that. And when God told me, I don't want you, Dustin, to do this. I want you to be all in on me instead. My life got so much better. I didn't stop playing baseball, but baseball was not the focus of my life. He was the focus. And I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have my amazing wife and my kids and the life that I have if I didn't tell God I am all in on what you have for me, not what I have for me. God has something that's so much better. When we decide to go on, all in on him, our hearts will shift because they'll shift more towards the things of God. Our focus will shift because it becomes more of his focus. Our eyes won't just see what we want, they'll see what he wants. And man, when he, you see people the way he sees people, things change. Things change. And loving people, man, it's not easy. It's hard to love people sometimes, but when you go over and above and beyond to show some of the love of Jesus, you are showing Jesus and them it's not about you. 
It is always about them and showing who God is through working, how he works through you. God started to direct my path. I could see him shaping my life. I could see him molding things out for me. But the only way I was able to give this up was the act of moving from saying, this is what I want, God. What do you want? And I literally had a moment at camp where I was on my knees and God was telling me, Dustin, you're going to work in church. And I know that's not the same call he gives everybody, but that's the one he gave me. And man, when I embraced it, it's been one heck of a ride. And I love it. I absolutely love it. The work of the Holy Spirit will guide you. It will direct you and it will point you. And it will help you to your best season ever. And I think that brings me to, to my, one of my final points today. Don't look back. Don't look back. Now, we can, we can remember things in our past that got us to where we are, but don't dwell on the things of the past where you look back and, and you say, I have regrets for not doing this, or, or look at my life. It was so bad, there's no reason God should love me because I'm just focused on the things that I've done in my past. Don't look back at those. And this simple statement can be such a game changer. This simple statement can change everything for you. Don't look back at the things that you've chosen to leave behind. I know if for, for me, it was not being able to not... Don't look back at baseball. Don't look at the $180 million contract I could have signed one day, right? Don't look back at those things and say, man, I should have kept doing this. Don't look back at those. Look ahead at what God is calling you to do because that is always better than anything you left behind. Every single time. There's a story that illustrates this, this beautifully and, and scary in the same way. There's, in the book of Genesis, there's a guy named Lot. A lot of us may know Lot and his wife and Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened with those cities now, just a flyby, Sodom and Gomorrah were horrible cities, horrible cities, sexual immorality. It, it, was, it was the worst, so bad that God said he was going to destroy the cities. Fire rained down, he destroyed the cities, but Lot and his wife were told to leave. So in Genesis 19, 20, oh, they were told to leave, and it says, don't look back. God said, do not look back at the city, walk straight ahead, get out, don't look back. Genesis 19, 26, this happens, but Lot's wife looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. That is harsh. That is very harsh, but it happened. Lot's wife looked back. She turned into a pillar of salt. That's a harsh consequence for simply looking back. So, but I think the question we have to ask not is, why did she get turned into a pillar of salt? I think the question we have to ask is, why did she look back? Why did she look back? God didn't say, if you look back, you will die. But he did give a very clear instruction, don't look back. And I think the answer to this is revealed when we look deeper at the Hebrew word used in this verse. In verse 26, we read the original Hebrew word for this, the word that we replaced in English with looked, actually says to regard something with favor, pleasure, or care. So, so when Lot's wife looked back, it was not just a, in our language, it's looking back. When it was written, the word they used literally meant she was going back. She was going back to regard with favor, pleasure, and care for what she had left behind. And why was God destroying those cities? It was, in God's eyes, there was nothing pleasure care. That was bad. So bad, he was wiping it out. But she wanted to go back to her comfort. She wanted to go back to what God was destroying. She was going to destroy herself, and it did when she looked back. You see, this was a place of comfort for her, the place she knew for a while, even though she knew it was gone and it was wrong. God told him it was wrong, and he said, get out. She desired to go back to it. God looked at the city and destroyed it because of its constant disobedience and the horrible things they were doing. And that's something you could read more about if you'd like. 
But I think when, when God points things out to us, we have to have the same principle that, that when he says, hey, I want you out of this, we can't say, but it's so comfortable and I love it and I want it. And that, that's a natural tendency, right? To go back to something, even if you know it's wrong because it's comfortable. But God is saying, don't look back at it. You're leaving it behind for a reason. Be all in on me. And that means you can't be all in on that at the same time. You've got to keep your focus on him and leave that behind. God doesn't want us focused on what's back there. Now, now there's no doubt you can be reminded of things that you've done. You can remember the things that you've done. But remembering something that's got you to where you are in your walk with God and going back to that are two totally separate things. You don't have to go back to it. You don't have to live through it again to remember what God brought you from. God's ultimate desire isn't to remind you of your past. It's to focus on your future, to focus on what he has for you, and that's where he wants you to go. I want to share another verse with you, uh, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. This focuses on the importance of looking ahead. It says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We've talked about Paul before. Paul had a past. I mean, a past so crazy that when, when he shifted, he got a brand new name, a name that was not associated anymore with murdering and, and killing and the horrible things he had done in the past. He had a future that he was going on. And he, more than anybody else, could have looked back and said, wow, look at, look at me. He references his past a lot, but he always references it in, in a sense of, this is what I was, and I don't deserve what God's given me, but man, God is good. But he doesn't desire to go back to those things. See, Paul was held in high honor and high esteem amongst the Pharisees. He was an extremely gifted leader. He was celebrated through his persecution of the early church. But he had to learn, as we do, that when you answer the call of God, there's some things you got to give up. Some things you have to deny. He denied himself, and he had to move forward with the life God had called him to do and leave his old life behind, even though it was a life where he was, again, esteemed. He was up there. He was in the ranks, and he left it behind. God has an abundant life waiting for all of us. I truly believe that. But we have to ask ourselves, are we just going to test, or are we going to jump all in? I, um, I, I love this, this picture that, that Donald put together for the series, this all in, because I think one of the best things we can do to declare that we are all in is by getting baptized. If, if you've never done that before, I'm going to talk about baptism in a little bit, and uh, we're going to have another baptism coming up. But that is one way to say, you know what, God, I am leaving my old life behind. I am all in. Um, baptisms for me, um, I, I may look pretty cool, calm, and collected when I'm in that tank, man. I'm ready to break at any moment when people are getting baptized because that is such an incredible moment. People saying, I am all in. I'm leaving my life behind. I am brand new in Jesus, and I love what we get to celebrate together. And so the challenge now is if we are going to say we are all in, what are we going to do about it? And I think this is something, this is where the looking introspectively parts comes, right? If I were to ask you, what are you going to do to be all in? What are you going to do to be all in? What are you going to do to be all in? Now you've got to ask yourself that question. What are you going to do to be all in? We're going to take some time. That's challenge this week. Take some time to think, what does it mean for me to be all in? What does it mean for me to give something else up? What does it mean for me to deny myself in some way, shape, or form? And here's some ways that we can be all in as a church. And I want to invite the worship team up as I read these off to you guys. Ways we can be all in as a church. We can be all in with our serving. 
Be all in with your serving. If, if you serve here at church, thank you so much for what you do. And I mean serving in any capacity, whether greeting people as they come in, making coffee, cleaning up at the church, technology, worship team, children's ministry, youth, and there's some I'm missing and I'm sorry, but, but <laughs> anything you do here at the church to serve and help make this, this machine roll, thank you. If you call this church home, you're a regular here and you're coming and you're not serving yet, jump in. It's time to do it. And, and don't, just, don't just check a box say, well, I guess I got to do something. What's something where you say, you know what? I have skills. I have talents in this area. I can serve. I can do it. Sign up. Email me. Let me meet with you. Let me talk to you about opportunities we have. Be all in with your serving. Let's be all in with our worship. Let's be all in with our worship. The way that we, we sing and worship is far more than singing. Worship isn't just standing up on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs and then, and then listening. Worship is more than just singing loud. Worship is living loud. Live your life loud in a way where everything you do is honoring to God. Be all in in the way that you worship. Let's be all in with our giving uh, of our time, the giving of our resources, giving when it comes to tithes and offerings. Let's say, God, I'm not just gonna test waters. I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna give you what's yours. I'm gonna be honoring to you. I'm gonna follow what the Bible says, what your word says on how I give to you, how I give to others. Be all in on how you serve and give. And lastly, be all in with your pursuit of him. Don't, don't just carve out time to meet with Jesus. Don't just carve out time to read the word. Let that be... Carve out time for other things. Let this be the focus. Let this be the thing where you say, I can do my life because I'm doing it God's way first and foremost. I am all in on pursuing him, seeing what he wants. And when you make those shifts, watch things change. Deny yourself. Say, it's not about me. It's about what he can do through me. Would you stand with me? And remember this important thing too. We're all individuals. We all have different things in life. We're all have different schedules and different things going on. Some of us are in school. Some are in work. Some are stay at home. Some are retired. We have all avenues covered here when you look across the room. But when you put us all together, we are one church body. We are, we are one and we can all be in all the time all together. Amen? Let's do it this year. Let's, let's let the school year be the start of something new where we say, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm not waiting till next week. I'm not waiting until we get back from this or back from the ship. Let's say, starting now, I'm all in. I'm going all in. Youth, don't wait till summer next year to jump in on something that God's calling you to do. Do it now in school. Say, God, you, you've called me to do this. I am all in. If there's something in youth you can serve on, uh, a, a project that maybe is going on, or just being a light to your friends at school, be all in. Let nothing hold you back. Is it going to be hard? Yeah, absolutely. There'll be times where it's hard. Is it going to be worth it? Yes. Nothing else is less worth it. Man, nothing else compares to following what God has for you and seeing how he will grow you and those around you because you follow him. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you went all in on us. God, you held nothing back. You gave, you gave your son for us because you love us so much. You are all in all the time. I pray, God, that for all of us, whatever it is we're holding on to, God, we let go. Whatever it is we say, this is me, this is mine, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what I have my clenched fist on, God, we're able to say, I give it to you. I'm putting myself second to you, God. I'm putting myself behind what you want because what you want is better. What you want is holy, perfect, and good. So, God, I pray for all of us here that we go all in on you, we hold nothing back, we deny ourselves daily, and we follow you. We thank you, God, we love you, and everybody said...
Amen.